Good evening, everyone. My name is Betsy. I'm a member here, and I'll be reading our sermon scripture passage for tonight. Um, so we'll be reading tonight from Isaiah chapter 41, verses 5 through 13. So I invite you to turn there in your Bible. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we do have some in the lobby you can grab. Um, we invite you to keep that as our gift to you, or you can also look it up and follow along on your phone. So once again, we'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 41, verses 5 through 13. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, says of the soldering, it is good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. This is God's word. Well, good evening, Doxology. It is good to be with you guys. And for uh, those of you who are joining us online, welcome as well. If you're new, joining us for the first time, my name is Steve, lead pastor here. It's great to worship with you all. And uh, for those of you who are here in the room, I know this is a smaller group than usual, but I think this is a really special time where, I mean, one, we can celebrate the fact that we can even gather, considering it's the year 2020, and we have enough volunteers here to do a service right before Christmas. So I'm just really, really looking forward to what God has for us in his word this evening. And uh, so we are finishing up our Advent series in the book of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 41. And at the heart of this passage is Isaiah 41, verse 10. That's where we're going to be spending most of our time today. And it's where Isaiah says that memorable line, God speaking through Isaiah, fear not, fear not, for I am with you. And if 2020 highlighted one thing about human beings, it's that we are fear-filled creatures. Or not, we are fear-filled creatures. Uh, who of you had that experience where you went to Target to get toilet paper and the entire aisle was sold out of like ordinary, sane, and intelligent individuals losing their minds, right, when something like a pandem pandemic happens. We are fear-filled creatures. And so as you think about fear that you may have, so the, the first things that may come to mind are the more intense and episodic type fears. So maybe you have a fear of flying, or you have a fear of uh, public speaking, or maybe you have a fear of losing a loved one. Uh, for me personally, I have an intense fear of big, hairy spiders, uh, Kelsey... Kills all the spiders in our home. Uh, and I have an intense fear of climbing ladders. I hate climbing ladders. Okay, so some of these fears don't happen as often, but when they happen, they're intense. But it's often the fears that are more subtle, that are more dangerous, because these are the fears that tend to control us without even us realizing that they happen. So, for example, uh, some of you have a fear of intimacy. Uh, you, you do have a fear that, uh, you know, of, of somebody seeing more of you or opening your heart to somebody. And so in conscious and unconscious ways, you, you keep people at arm's length. Um, others of you, or I know a number of you here, you hate unpredictability. You hate it. 
And so you do everything that you can to control and plan and manage so that you don't find yourself in a situation that's out of your control or where you're not going to know the outcome. Others of you hate confrontation. Like, it fills you with fear to think about somebody getting upset with you or rejecting you. Others of you have a social anxiety. Others of you have fear of financial insecurity. Um, others of you, maybe it's not one uh, localized fear, particular fear, but it's, a, it's more of an ongoing ambient fear where just your heart rate's elevated often. Maybe sometimes you get a little bit of, bit of tunnel vision. Your, your head starts spinning. And what, what I love about the God of the Bible is God understands this. He understands that to be a human being is to be afraid. And so what God does is he doesn't belittle you in your fear, but he comes, he draws near to you, and he doesn't give you hollow advice like the world gives, but he gives you something unique and magnificent. And so as we look at this passage in Isaiah, we're going to see how God meets us in our fears. And so we're just going to look at uh, one command, one clarification he gives on that command, and then many promises. All right, so one command, one clarification on that command, many promises. Let's go, okay? Uh, So first, one command. That's in verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. So why are the Israelites afraid? Why is God telling them, don't be afraid? So Isaiah is writing somewhere between 700 and 740 B.C., but he's speaking into a situation that's going to happen in 539 B.C. So this is amazing. Isaiah foretells this like over 150 years in advance. And so he gives this to the Israelites. So when this event happens in 539, they will be able to read this and say, okay, fear not, for God is with me. Now, What is happening that is making the Israelites frightened in 539 B.C.? And it's two things. So the first thing is, at this point, they have been taken out of their homes against their will into the violent empire of Babylon, and they're held there against their will in exile. So that's the first thing. So just an ongoing fear, you know, what's going to happen to me today? But number two, what happens in 539 is a shadow in the east arises, And hopefully some of you get that reference, okay? A shadow in the east arises, uh, not Mordor this time. It is Cyrus, okay? So Cyrus, he is the first first leader of the Persian Empire, and we see this in verse 2. So hopefully you have your Bibles because we'll be referencing verses here and there. Isaiah 41, verse 2, Isaiah says, Who stirred up one from the east whom victory meets at every step? So there's this person, there's this ruler who the people, all the nations in the Mesopotamian region haven't been aware of up until this point, and that's the Persian Empire. So all of a sudden, he rises up in the east, and then he just starts marching west, and he mows over everybody. That's why Isaiah says, whom victory meets at every step. Nations are given up before him. He tramples kings underfoot. So this is Cyrus. And so Babylon, all the nations in Mesopotamia are afraid of Cyrus coming because he's just taken over everybody. And the Israelites are afraid, right? Because what's going to happen now when this new ruler comes over? And so Isaiah steps in and he says, do not fear. And so as we start here, we just look simply at this command from God to fear not. Uh, The thing that you need to know is that if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, if you belong to God, God does not want you to be afraid, He does not want you to live a life where you become so tunnel vision that the thing you most feel and the things you often most think about are the things that assails you. No, he says, I am your God. I am with you. Be not dismayed, for for I am your God. So you you do not need to fear. This is a a command from God. This isn't a suggestion or a a life hack. But he's saying, do not be afraid. 
Um, to, to fear is to have this like, deep sense of dread or apprehension about something that's going to happen in the future. And to be dismayed, that's another way to say be not dismayed, is to look around with anxiety. So God's saying, when you belong to me, what I want to do is I want to take your fear and turn it into hope so you can actually look to the future with confidence because you belong to me. And even more amazingly, I belong to you. Fear not, for I am with you. Okay, that's the command. Now, number two, what's the clarification that God gives us? Because some of you are already probably thinking this. It can be frustrating if you are a fearful person or an anxious person for somebody to just come along and say, stop being anxious. You know, like, when is that ever helpful? Uh, this was a week or two ago. I was listening to a talk by a doctor named Sam Chan, and he was, he was doing a talk on, on something, and he, he told this story about how he, like, he's never been a good swimmer. And when he was a kid, he couldn't swim at all. And so his swim instructor, like, throws him into the deep end where he doesn't have, you know, a cement under him to push against. And he's floundering in the water, and he can barely keep his face over the water. And the swim instructor just keeps shouting at him, swim, swim. And he's saying, if I could swim, you idiot, I would be swimming. <laughs> like, I need, I need help here. And sometimes we can feel that way, right? When God says, fear not, it's like, well, yeah, if I could just turn off fear like an off switch, I would do it, God. But what I love about the Bible is God doesn't just give you commands, and then expect you to be able to do it, you know, because we can't do it on our own. He actually empowers you to be able to do it. And so, first let's look at here, okay, what is God not saying when he says, fear not? And then, and then how does he actually help us? Okay, so that's the clarification here with this command. And what God is not saying, when he says, fear not, he, he doesn't mean it's wrong or sinful for you to have feelings of anxiety or for you to be afraid. And one way we know this off the bat is because Jesus was afraid, right? The, most, the primary example is when he was in Gethsemane about to go to the cross. Jesus was terrified. He was so filled with fear that he was sweating droplets of blood, we're told, right? Like he's trembling. Uh, but contextually here in Isaiah, we know that God isn't saying it's just wrong for you to just stop being afraid. And that's the answer is because of the context. And so look with me in verses 5 through 7. So... Verse 5, Isaiah says, The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, Be strong. So what Isaiah is describing is, okay, here's how the nations respond when they get afraid. So as the Persian Empire is coming in from the east, they get scared. And now how do they deal with their fear? We see this in verse 7. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the anvil... He who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, it is good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. This is the language of fashioning gods. So when the nations are afraid, they start erecting these many deities to help them in their, in their fear. Um, you know, hence the language of soldering and using a hammer and so forth. And so there's an irony here because they want their gods to help them. But first they have to create the god to then ask the god to help them. So who's... Are these gods actually going to be helpful? And we look at this and we say, well, you know, I don't erect little statues in my home when I get afraid. But the point is what they're doing here is they're looking to something that is not God and treating it as if it were God looking it to save them. And so what do we do when we get anxious, when we get afraid, right? We do similar things. So we go to things like escapism. So if I can just go onto my phone for a few hours and scroll through my feeds or hop on Netflix and just ignore the fact that scary things are out there, you know, maybe then I'll be okay and I'll feel secure and I can just get a respite 
you know, from those stormy winds. Others of us double down on our career. So if I just stay busy, I don't have to think about all these other things assailing me. Others of us put the weight of our security onto another human being. We might be a codependent on a friend or a spouse, like expecting them to do for us what God can only do. And so what Isaiah is saying here is, when you are afraid, don't run to something that's not God looking to it to save you. Instead, what you need to do is cling to God, cling to Jesus amid your fear. And so here's the point of this section is, as you mature as a Christian, uh, becoming mature in Christ doesn't mean you, it doesn't necessarily mean you have less experiences of fear and anxiety. What it means is when the fears come and the anxieties come, you run to Jesus and cling to him and his promises more quickly. That's what maturity is, as you grow in Christ. When, when fears come, when anxieties come, instead of running to something else or just trying to fix it, you know, or taking a pill or running to therapy, even though pills and therapy can and do have their place, the main thing you do is you run to Jesus and you cling to his promises. Okay, so don't run to a false God. Run to Jesus. Cling to his promises. And that leads us to our final point, the, the many promises that God gives you. Okay, so instead of God just shouting at you, you know, swim, swim, and you can't, he says, it's okay, don't run to a false god, but cling to me and my promises. And this is the best part of the passage. Uh, it was my favorite part as I was meditating it over this week. And so I hope for you all, you just soak this in and enjoy the things that are truly unique only to those who belong to Jesus, because the world doesn't offer anything like this. Okay, and so what are the promises that... God gives us. And there are a lot of them, but we're just going to focus on the ones that are condensed in verse 10. Okay, so the first one is, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. Do you all ever stop to think about the the immense power of somebody being physically present with you? Something so simple and so powerful and I was thinking about one of the examples, one of the times that I first remember feeling this was so when I played sports in high school. And as a freshman, I got pulled up to varsity. And a lot of you remember this. In high school, there's often a huge gap in physicality between a 14-year-old freshman and an 18-year-old senior. I mean, they're almost like two different species, right? So I remember I get pulled up to varsity, and it's Friday night, and I'm this, you know, scrawny 160-pounder, and I step onto the field, and, you know, the lights are all around me, and the crowd's shouting, and I am just, you know, trembling. Like, I just want to run off of this field. And you know what gave me courage? It wasn't looking within myself and saying, okay, Steve, you practice for hours, you practice for years, you, you know, you can do this, yeah, yeah, yeah. What gave me courage was looking up into the stands and seeing my father sitting there and grinning from ear to ear as he simply showed up to watch his son play. He didn't care how he was going to perform, he just wanted to be there for his son. And that's what filled my heart with courage. It was like all of a sudden I had a spine of steel again. And so when God promises, I will be with you, he says, even when you feel afraid, even when you feel like you're facing something that's beyond your ability, you can rest assured that I will never leave you. I will be with you always, Jesus promises, shoulder to shoulder, hand to hand. Fear not, for I am with you. 
That's number one. Number two, be not dismayed, for I am your God. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. So the key here is, I am your God. That's the emphasis. And if you go back to uh, chapter one, where God says, listen to me in silence, O coastlands, let the peoples renew their strength, let them approach, let them speak, let us draw together for judgment. This is a more ancient way, of, I'll just translate it into kind of modern terms that you'll probably make fun of me for, is God's just saying, okay, the most powerful of peoples and most powerful of gods come all together and we're just going to see who the boss is. And quite simply, I'm the boss, right? Like, I'm the most powerful of the most powerful. And then later on in verse 4, God's saying, even Cyrus, this great emperor who's coming over, uh, who has performed and done this, calling them, basically like, who's overseeing everything that's happening? I, the Lord, the first And with the last, I am he. So God's saying, I'm the God of all gods. I'm the king of kings. And it's it's me, the God of gods, who is with you. And so when somebody says, I am with you, I'm going to help you, their ability matters. right? So if a two-year-old says, okay, let me help you with this project, that's cute. And they're going to have fun with it while they're doing it. But it's often going, well, it is. It's going to mean more work for you. So what does it mean when God says, I am the one who's going to be, be with you. And just keeping with, the, uh, keeping with the sports illustrations, so one of the sports I played was lacrosse. And there was this guy on my team, his name was Mike Lloyd, and you know, he was over six feet tall, this huge guy, but also very quick of foot. And you know, those of you who know lacrosse, so, so the defenders carry a six-foot-long metal pole that they can just you know, beat you with and knock you on your back. And so Mike, he was a defender, he had a long pole, And he was one of those guys who filled you either with fear or courage, depending on which line of the line, which side of the line that you stood on from him. Right? So during practice, I hated him because, you know, with our pennies, I'd be wearing the opposite color. And especially if I was wearing the opposite color, you know, I'd inevitably just walk home utterly battered and bruised. I would have ended up on my back like 10 times. But come game time, when I was wearing the same color jersey as him, I was so glad Mike was on my team. I remember this one time where I had the ball, and, you know, this, sure enough, this monster is coming toward me. And Mike's, Mike comes out of nowhere from the side and just lays the dude out in front of me. So I had a clear field in front of me to sprint. I wasn't that big, but I, I could run, so I just sprint ahead. I felt unstoppable when Mike was with me. And God, when God says, I am your God, he's saying, when you are united with the Lord Jesus, I am on your side. You are on my team, and so that means all of my strength, all of my power, all of my glory, and all of my mercy, all of my tenderness, all of my patience is utterly bent toward you. And I will be sure to be with you and by your side. You're not alone. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. What does he say next? Number three, I will strengthen you. To, to know the Lord of hosts is to be strengthened by the Lord of hosts. And one of the ways this happens is often through ways that you don't expect. And I was trying to think of an illustration to help with this. And I, I thought of uh, the Narnia series and the book, The Horse and His Boy. And so in The Horse and His Boy, there's this scene where there's this boy named Shasta. And he's feeling miserable because of all these unfortunate events that have happened to him. And he's walking along in the dark and it's foggy. And he senses this great presence that's coming up, you know, near him in the dark, but he can't see who it is. And he ends up finding out, you know, he ends up realizing this is Aslan, the the great lion, who's who's the Christ figure in the story. And uh, Aslan gets very close to him and he he says to the boy, you know, he says, son, 
tell me your sorrows. What's troubling you? And Shasta tells him about, you know, all throughout his adventures and why he's so upset, how he ended up in a graveyard and how there was this one occasion where he was on a horse and these lions started chasing them and made the horses run faster. He also complains about the fact that he never knew his mother or his father, but was raised by somebody who, who wasn't his biological mom or dad. And he talks about all these different episodes where you know, these lions were nearby and they keep, they, they keep seeming to give him trouble. And how Aslan responds is, he says, I do not call you unfortunate. And Shasta says, what do you mean? Don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions? And Aslan says, there was only one lion, but he was swift of foot. And Shasta says, how do you know this? And Aslan says, because I am he. I was the lion who forced you to join with Aravis. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength for the last mile so you could meet King Loon in time. And I was the lion you don't even remember who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it came to shore where a man sat, wakeful at night, to receive you and raise you. And you see what Aslan's telling him. He's saying, often amid your unfulfilled longings and amid your fears, I am at work in your life in ways that you don't often realize it. And it's the same way for you today. I mean, God works in so many ways to strengthen you in ways that you don't even know. So it it often comes in the form of something like a friend simply giving you a hug and telling you everything's going to be okay. It comes in the form of being in the worship service and something from a song pierces your heart or something from the sermon passage hits you in a new way and lifts your eyes up to Jesus to give you strength to make it through the week again. It may come in the form of giving you just enough courage to put your feet on the floor in the morning or to face that coworker or that family member you've been dreading to face. It often comes through the very ordinary acts of just repeatedly reading your Bible and praying until the promises and passages and the attitudes of the Bible begin to infuse and permeate your being. To know the Lord is to know his strength and to have his strength, and he will carry you to the end. I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Next, number four, I will help you. I will help you. So the word here for help is the same root of the word that uh, God uses to describe Eve when he created Eve and in the book of Genesis for Adam, and Eve was described as Adam's helper. And this term helper wasn't a belittling term. The term for helper that God uses often for himself and to describe Eve was a very, it was an empowering term. And what it meant was for Adam in many ways, there, there were things that he could not do, but Eve could. So that's in one sense she was, she was a helper, but also the only way Adam could become his full self is through Eve, his helper. And so when God says here, I, am, I will help you, this means he is strong in ways that you are not. And it's only through union with Jesus that you can become your full self. And the main way that God helps you is through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says in John 16, I will send the helper, is how he describes the Holy Spirit. And he, who, he is the one who's going to help you. Uh, we should talk about the Holy Spirit more often here because if you, are, if you belong to Jesus, his very spirit is in you now. So what are some of the things that he helps you with? So all of these things come from Scripture. He gives you power. 
he makes the word of God actually come alive. So you see this book not just as another book, but as the very words of life itself. He gives you wisdom. He gives you comfort. He gives you assurance that you actually belong to God. He, aw- he awakens you to the devastating consequences of sin. He helps you obey. Not only that, but he helps you delight to obey. And most of all, he makes Jesus beautiful to you. If you find Jesus precious or necessary in your life for any reason, that is because and only because the Holy Spirit is at work in you, helping you. It's incredible help he provides. So fear not. Why? Because I am with you. Be not dismayed. Why? Because I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And then finally, number five, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So uh, Titus now can, you know, he can crawl, but also he's able to like hold himself up. He can't quite walk yet, but if he can grab a coffee table or a sofa, he can prop himself up. So one of the things he does now often is he, like he recognizes that there are things he should be able to do, but can't quite do yet. And so he might grab the couch and pull himself up, and then he tries to, you know, get up onto the couch. And so Kelsey and I like to let him struggle because that's good for him. Right, and so he, you know, he's he's struggling, and he tries to get up there, and you know, he's bending his arms, and you know, so eventually he starts to, to fuss, and he's straining and straining, and then eventually he runs out of strength, and so he starts to fall to the ground. And so what I'll do is I'll come up behind him, and I'll, I'll grab his waist, and I'll put him up onto the couch, and then once he gets up there, he's standing there, you know, his little arms are overhead, just smiling from ear to ear. Yeah, look at me, look what I did. Why? Because he was upheld by the arms of his father. And there are many times where he wants me to hold him. So just this past week, he was very sick. And so he always wanted to be held. And if it was, you know, if I was the primary parent on duty with Titus, I'd be holding him. But I'd have to hold him for so long that my arms would tire. And I'd try switching arms. But eventually, I would have to just set him down for a little bit uh, until I could pick him up again. But underneath you are not the arms that tire. Underneath you are the everlasting arms of your, of your everlasting God who never gets fatigued in holding you up. Even when his arms are outstretched and pinned to a cross. And that's the wonderful message of Advent. When Jesus came to the world, it wasn't just to give you a nice story to read around the the, the fire as you drink hot chocolate on Christmas Eve evening, even though it is a wonderful story. The reason Jesus came was to secure these promises for you, all of the promises that we just talked about, and that was what the cross was about. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, he says, all the promises find their yes in Jesus Christ. And one of the things this means is when Jesus went to the cross, he became a curse for you, as Paul says in Galatians 3, so that by trusting in him, you get all the promises that we were just talking about. And think about the experience of Jesus Christ when he was on the cross. Did he feel any of these things? For I am with you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Did he feel like God was with him? Did he feel like God was with his God? Did he feel strengthened? Did he feel helped? Did he feel upheld by God's righteous, by God's righteous right hand? No, he didn't. And the reason why, why he wasn't 
Well, said that those promises could be yours, not because you deserve it, because of what Jesus secured for you on your behalf. And so what's the only application here is fear not. (laughs) Fear not, for I am with you. And so what I want you all to do is when, when you come across something that makes you anxious or afraid, if you think about viewing it through a picture frame and you're viewing the thing that's scary, you know, through the picture frame and on the frame there are different words. So one, you can view it through the lens of worry. So I'm afraid, I'm in despair, uh, I'm anxious, what about this, what about that, I'm insecure, I'm filled with self-doubt. Or you can view the same circumstance, you can view the same fear, same, same thing that's happening to you, but instead with the promises of God enveloping you amid your fear. Okay, and so as you come across things that scare you, just remember Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will, uh, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's what we get in Advent. And let's celebrate that this week. And on Christmas Day, this upcoming Friday, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for who you are and that you really do offer us something that the world can't. And so help us to cling to these promises anew. And as we frame our life, help us, um, I just hope, Will you help us um, fixate on your words and may they be the most real thing to us because you are ultimate reality. And so may your voice uh, and the person of Jesus be the most concrete, most visible, um, (laughs) secure things uh, that we get to look at as we move forward as as a church together, Lord. Um, Thank you for loving us so much. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.